Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona in for PJ this week again. And thank you for joining us this morning on the Opinion Line. What a weekend of sport. Uh, congratulations, of course, to Kerry on their All-Ireland win. But huge congratulations to the Cork ladies, Camogie, who um, the seniors, the intermediate and the under-16 teams have all made it through to All-Ireland Finals over the coming weekend, over last weekend. So huge congratulations to all the Cork ladies. Um, huge excitement in all of those camps and we will be looking forward to the All-Ireland Finals when they take place. Um, also there was um, long queues outside Apple Green service stations yesterday morning for a two hour flash sale where petrol and diesel were reduced to one ninety nine a litre and um, for anybody who wasn't in the queues, you may have seen the queues on social media, there was pictures all over various social media uh, yesterday of long, long queues um, outside Apple Green service stations as people went to try and fill their cars with, um, well I don't know if you would call it, it def- definitely isn't cheap fuel but um, significantly cheaper than what we're being charged at the minute. Um, now we know that um, the Gardaí were called to a number of places where the cars had gone out onto the main roads um, and we were also told as well that the price it was supposed to be in place for two hours but in some places the sale was cut short and we're not really sure why or what happened there but if anybody was in any of those queues um, for the, the cheaper petrol and diesel you might let us know um, you know how you found out about it and, and what the atmosphere is like and what was happening um, where you were 0818 96 96 96 is the number and the text to WhatsApp is 0833 96 96 96 and of course you can email us at any time across the day opinion at 96fm.ie 
Now, there was talk over the last couple of weeks about camper vans um, down at beaches and they were causing, uh, they were taking up a lot of traffic space and people weren't able to park and there was calls for proper uh, camper van parks across uh, Cork for tourists who come here and they've nowhere to park their vans. But one woman has had a rather unusual experience in that a camper van has been parked across her driveway. Georgina, good morning. Hello, Fiona. How are you? I'm all right, Georgina. It's your mum in this situation. Yes. Um, so basically, this camper van arrived at some point yeah. <laughs> during either Thursday uh, night slash Friday morning, and it's been there since. Um, we kind of thought maybe, you know, if they were just parking up for maybe, you know, food or something, just, mm. you know, a little rest, they might head off again. So we didn't say anything at the time, but... Um, yeah, basically my mum's house is in a cul-de-sac, but it's not the usual kind of cul-de-sac that, you know, they'd come out a little bit more and you could park maybe three cars across it. Yeah. Um, her one, the boundary kind of of the cul-de-sac lines up with her gate. So where the camper van has parked, it's directly in front of the gate. So, um, yeah, she hasn't been able to get her car out now or anything. And we have been unable to track down where they've gone. So, and so um, it's, it's so the tourist pulled up on Friday, parked up, and um, your mom now has not been able to get out of her uh, driveway in her car. And I'm assuming that she needed to get out over the weekend to maybe go and do some shopping. Yes, exactly. So um, my dad ended up having to do about an eight point turn <laughs> <laughs> with um, the car and managed to get it out, but actually didn't um, didn't get it back into the driveway. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's just frustrating for her because, you know, obviously you have your bits and bobs to be doing. You don't expect to be stuck in your own driveway. But yeah, um, of course, I suppose the other kind of the other worry that we had personally as well is my mom suffers from epilepsy. And I, I suppose I kind of had the conversation last night or the thought of going like, you know, you never know if you ever, you know, if you needed an ambulance or anything like that, they're mm. not going to be able to get down our driveway. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, we we went knocking on doors last night to see if there was anyone that knew anything about it. But well, nobody knows. On Sunday evening, yeah, people didn't know. And so. did you knock on the door of the camper van? Yes. Um, and there was no one in it at the time. Now the blinds had been going up and down, uh, um, and it's a couple. They were sighted. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but they 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 are tourists, so we're just trying to track down wherever we, we think they might be. Like you know, using it as the base and maybe getting buses or something. We're not quite sure, but um, yeah, because I suppose yeah. like the camper vans would normally, as we were saying, they're parked outside beaches and stuff. Would it be unusual for a camper van to park outside your in your estate in Balancholic? I would imagine highly likely or highly unlikely that anyone yeah. would park in an estate in the middle of Balancholic. Like maybe you could chance the regional park, you know, that's a bit more scenic, but mm. um, <laughs> not where my mum and dad's Balancholic. You just wouldn't you know, there's no there's no great amenities there to be um using and, I don't know. It's and did you stick a note situation. on the door or off the camper My mum yeah, my mum's going doing that today. Just to ask if they wouldn't mind moving down slightly so she can get the car out at least. Because yeah. um, we I th- we were hoping that they might come back last night because we were thinking Sunday that they might actually leave her. You know what I mean? That yeah. like, you know, maybe they were just spending the weekend, the three nights <laughs> in the cul-de-sac. But yeah. um, no. They, still they, there this they, morning. They're still there. 
there's still there. So uh, there's going to be a note going up shortly now. <laughs> but as you say, I mean, like, I know it's frustrating that your mom can't get out of her driveway, but there is that genuine fear that, you know, if something happened, that an ambulance wouldn't be able to get in. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, a couple of years, like it hasn't happened now in a long time. Um, thank God. But, you know, we have had to call the ambulance service previously for her, you know. So mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, it's always kind of in the back of our minds that, you know, it, it is just something I suppose we have to be aware of. Um so yeah. yeah, it's just it's just something completely unexpected. Like I mean, when she opened the curtains on Friday morning and saw a camper van, she was like, "What?" And we bet we bumped into another neighbour yesterday who thought that they'd made some sort of an investment because the, um, <laughs> the camper van was outside the house. But, they were um, after winning the lotto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's just not something you know you think to see when you live in an estate. I yeah. don't think it's just as mad. So but, I suppose, um, like, yeah. if they if the tourists are having a list today that they they might uh, run out now and move it or maybe as your mum, you know, you were saying there that she's going to leave a note so maybe they'll uh, see that and move it as well because um, do you know, I suppose, you know, I know there was the whole argument about nowhere to park for people but you have to be conscious as well of where you're parking, you can't be blocking people in. Well, this this is exactly what um, we said last night. Like, you know, if it was a case of if they had knocked and said, look, we're badly struck and we just put it here for a few days. Mm. You know, it's just kind of, you know, it would have been nice to, you know, have the question asked, is it OK? Or, you know, do you mind? But it's just the fact that it was just, you know, it just arrived and there's been nothing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Kate is saying, um, have you checked the reg? Yeah. And have you called Irish the reg? I'm not yeah, sure, like, it is taxed. Well, uh, yeah, um, it's, so basically, I actually spoke to another friend of mine who um, had an issue recently that a car was just parked outside her house for a very long time and they couldn't trace it back. And um, she actually suggested contacting the council because apparently, I'm not 100% sure of this now, but apparently, you know, with the city, um, with Van Clyde now being in the city, the council mm. can come and give them a parking ticket. But I'm unsure if, because obviously it's a private estate, so I wouldn't imagine, um, yeah. you know, they'd get involved pretty quickly. And I don't know. Um, we haven't contacted the guards because we just didn't want to, you know, bring it to that level yet. I suppose yeah. they're all this week now. We might look into it, but um, yeah, it's definitely like you know we did think of it yesterday, but we just haven't gone about um, that. You know, yeah. we haven't gone down that road yet. I don't know, Georgina, you're very nice. Um, so <laughs> other people wouldn't be so considerate. <laughs> I know, I know. Believe me, I, I I felt like knocking on the door now yesterday, but I knew there was no one in it. So I said, there's no point in getting worked up about it. It is what yeah. it is for now. And I mean, look, you know, nobody wants to, like everybody wants to, to welcome tourists and say, yeah, come on, have a great time here in Cork. But at the same time, you have to be considerate and you can't be parking in front of people's driveways. That's just, that's Absolutely. just not on really. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Okay, well, Georgie, do you might let us know how you get on? Keep in touch. I will. <laughs> okay. Absolutely, you, I will. Georgina. Thanks so much, Fiona. Okay, hopefully your mum gets out now today. Um, yeah, what do you think, listeners? I mean, you know, we we do want to welcome our tourists here, but really people should be more considerate about, considerate about where they park. And I know that there have been reports in recent weeks about a lack of parking spaces for camper vans, but surely to God, you can't be going parking in front of people's driveways. Uh, let us know 0818 96 96 96.
Um, also, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, the comedian PJ Gallagher has spoken out about his the loss of his dog Lilo. He had him for 10 years and um, his dog passed away and he said that the dog was his best fr- like his best friend and he was absolutely devastated um, when he passed away. And Dogs Trust now, he's um, a, a spokesperson now for the charity Dogs Trust and they're calling on employers to give um, days off for people to mourn their, their dogs and I was just wondering what you think of that listeners do you think that that's a good idea that people should be given grief days from work to mourn the loss of their dog and you know dogs as Peter Gallagher was saying they do become part of the family they do become people's best friends and people do get so upset about the passing of their beloved pet and you know it does make coming into work very very difficult if you are suffering from that kind of um, you know upset and um, you know Dogs Trust Ireland now say that they want people to have um, days off a grief days, compassionate leave. Do you think that that's a good idea? Let us know what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. Now on Friday, I was speaking to Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould very, very briefly. He had some uh, welcome news on the whole Stepping Stones preschool up in Farnry and I told him that we would bring him back on the show today to talk about it in a little bit more detail detail. At this day last week there was a protest outside the um, Stepping Stones preschool in Farnry after parents had been told that the school wouldn't be reopening in September and many of these parents had brought their children to introduction days and were really excited about the prospect of going to this school in September and then they were informed a couple of weeks ago that it wasn't going to reopen and they had the anxious um, they're they're still going through the um, frustration of trying to find another place in another facility and they're few and far between at the minute and Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould brought us some good news on Friday that there is a positive development and um, good morning, he joins me again now, good morning Thomas Good morning Fiona Hi, how are you, how are you getting on? Thomas, um, the, the, you had some uh, a positive development um, with regards to the Stepping Stones preschool and what's happening with it now? Okay, well, what's happening now is because of the campaign that was led by the parents and the families of the children and I think the wider family community, um, Cork City City Childcare now are going to advertise for uh, looking for new service providers to come on board to provide a preschool in the existing building from the end of August. So... The the old the old um, directors are now after stepping down, but what we have managed to secure is that Cox City Childcare, Cox City Childcare, and Cox City Council have done. I have to be honest; they've done great work here in trying to fast track this so we can get the preschool open. And uh, what is going to happen now in the next day or so is that will go to the public. We know that there are a number of interested groups who want to open a preschool up there. So they will have a week to apply for it and then the, the Cox City Childcare will make a decision on the, who the successful applicant will be. Now, so once hoping, they choose a successful applicant, how long does the process take then before they take over the school? And, you know, will that take a couple of weeks? Will we have this um, preschool ready f- to be reopened at the start of September? 
Well, I tell you, Fiona, we're really up against the up against the clock here. But what we're trying to do is to have it open on the 29th of August, which was the day that the children should have been going back to school. Uh, there's a huge effort being put in by everyone. Uh, and uh, I think, Fiona, I just want to thank you and 96 because you gave the parents some great support over the last few weeks, mm. which allowed us to put pressure on everyone because... Cushing Road Preschool closed down earlier on this year, which is also in Farnry. And then you had Stepping Stones closing down, which, like, an area like Farnry couldn't lose two community preschools. And that's why we said, and when I spoke to officials and different departments, and they said that the Northside can't take any more uh, losses of services like this. And to be fair... Everyone is after coming on board. They recognise the fact that these, there's 29 children due to start on the 29th of August and it needs to be up and running. So hopefully the uh, application will be out this week. It'll be open to people to apply. Hopefully we'll have a, uh, at least one successful applicant. I know of a number of people who are, who are interested, but we want this to be kept as a community child here because family needs this. Mm-hmm. And like the parents, and in more in particular, the children need this because the stress that the parents have been going through, because it's so hard to get childcare. And one of the big, one of the big positives about stepping stones was the staff, the parents and the families and the children love the staff up there. They, they, they were devastated by this. And so, would you be calling on whoever takes this over to retain the staff? Yes. Um, and I think, like, from, from talking to parents and talking to Cox City Childcare, the staff are actually the heart of the preschool up there. So I, I'm I'm really positive at the moment. We're not over the line. We have a lot of work to do. But we're going to do everything to try to drive this on over the next few weeks because we need stepping stones open. And Thomas, um, so I suppose you'll keep us up to date on that as the as the process develops and we'll know a little bit more and hopefully we'll see that school opening, as you said, on the 29th of August. You also mentioned on Friday when you were on with me, uh, we took a brief call with you that you were going to be protesting outside AIB in South Mall about the cashless banks. But um, just before the show finished, we had news that the AIB was reversing its decision to go cashless. Um, I suppose that was a welcome announcement for you. And for everybody yeah, in the community, well, in communities all over yeah, the world. Yeah, I think, and the thing about the, the, the AIB announce, announcement affected everyone. So whether you were a pensioner in Granabrother or a farmer in West Cork, uh, this was affecting everyone. And that's why there was so much anger and frustration that the AIB, after the Irish people had bailed them out for them to go away, and stabbed those people in the back by that announcement. And it showed you then what people power can do. And this is what I would always say to people about getting organised and working together. We had we had stepping stones of family, a little preschool, standing up and fighting and hopefully getting a result. And then we had the whole nation standing together against the bankers and EIB. And sometimes people are saying, what's the point in protesting or f- campaigning this shows you when enough of people come together and they get organisations like 96FM and national broadcasters to, to look at the issues, what we can achieve. So I think to everyone who came out where I was on, local radio, newspapers, social media, 
this is a victory for people standing up for their rights. Okay, brilliant. Thomas, thanks very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. That is Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould. Now I'll bring you the best of Cork Awards. So we're still um, giving out some of the best categories um, on the airwaves. And if anybody wants to have a look at all of the categories, they are, of course, available on our Corks96FM.ie. And there's still time to vote for your favourite. You'll find the shortlist on our website. So go to 96FM.ie now and have your say. And here are just some of the categories for best hairdresser. We have three degrees and hair, Glanmire. Hair by Humphrey, Hair Co-Creative and Sweetness Hair and Beauty. And Best Bar, we have Casey's Clonakilty, Dwyer's of Cork, Murphy's Rock, Sketch at the Imperial Hotel and the Beer Garden in Turner's Cross. And we also will give you Best Tradesperson. We have Stephen Higgins Carpentry, Anne-Marie Kingston, White Sage Decluttering, Bernard Power Carpentry, Maura Mackey Design and Ryan O'Keefe Painting and Decorating. So if any of them are your favourite or anybody who's on the list go to 96fm.ie and have your say vote for your favourite now at 96fm.ie the best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie your place to find trusted gas boiler installers plumbers electricians and much more only on Cork's 96fm now earlier this morning I was speaking about um, PJ Gallagher who is the voice for Dogs Trust and their campaign to have compassionate leave for people who have lost a pet and they're grieving the loss of their pet. PJ Gallagher was talking about losing his dog Lilo and he said he was deeply upset and they're calling now for um, employers to give people uh, compassionate leave, days off um, to mourn their pets. Monica says, yes, absolutely, I vote for compassionate leave to mourn our fur babies. I don't think I would be able to function if anything happened to my dog. And Anne has been in touch to say, my cat passed away suddenly nearly a year ago. I will never be the same again. I wouldn't cry for a member of my family, but I do for my cat and I'm still heartbroken. Very sorry to hear that, Anne. It is very upsetting for people when they lose a pet. As I said, they become part of your family and and your best friend. Um, uh, let us know what you think, 0818 96 96 96, or you can text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96, and we will take your voice notes as well at that number. And you can email us, of course, at opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, last week we were talking about the Bus Connects plans and there are a number of public information sessions taking place this week again, there was a few last week and there's more taking place this week and one of the routes is going through um, or is going there's a, going to be a bridge going over the Mangala Woods in Ballancolig and that's called, or in Douglas and that's caused absolute uproar with lots of residents in that area and there is a petition at the minute um, save the Mangala and um, part of that um, petition and, and campaign to to save the Mangala is Nina and I've been chatting to her about what the Mangala means to the people of Douglas. Nina, the plans for the Bus Connects routes have become known to the public over the last couple of weeks and theres it's fair to say there's absolute outrage over many parts of this plan. Many of the routes are going to be going through people's gardens and one of the routes is going to be going through the Mangala out in Douglas. It's the Ballybrook Woods and you are one of the people who are not happy about this. Why is that? Well, the Mangala, um, for people who don't know, where it is or what it is. 
it's mature woodland area, a unique woodland area in the heart of Douglas Village. It's in a valley with a stream going through it, with trees and trails up either side. And it's an absolute oasis in the middle of Douglas where people go to, you know, people go to just get, get away from things and people have picnics there with their kids and it's full of wildlife. And they want to build a bridge over this and basically bulldoze down 50% of it in order to build a road for buses. And I mean, the whole idea behind the Bus Connects is to create a more sustainable transport system for Cork. But it kind of seems to defy logic that in order to increase sustainability, they're actually destroying a wildlife park. Yeah, this is what beggars believe, because I understand trying to do things to help the environment and sustainability and that kind of thing. Mm. But a natural woodland full of natural habitats nature and great fresh air and peace and they want to destroy that to have emissions going over it it, it doesn't make any sense at all I mean it beggars belief honestly (laughs) so many people are speechless they they can't believe that they're trying to do this now this bridge that they're looking to build now 20 metres wide it'll kill all the wildlife there. there there are fish in the stream there are beautiful birds, there are hedgehogs, there are bats which as far as I know are protected mm. and they want to destroy their habitats and just further up Donnybrook Hill there's already a bridge that's nearing the end of construction as far as I can tell from Guard Cross across the way to Carl's Hill so it's the same route but yeah. further up the hill so there's absolutely no need for this bridge at all you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense and like, I think with this plan, they're trying to shorten the length of time for buses and for bus commuters and, you know, encourage more people to use buses. And obviously they've chosen this because it's the quickest route. But you're saying that there is another bridge just up the road from it. So they could, I suppose, use that as part of this bus connects rather than building another bridge just down the road. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, it's literally a two-minute drive further up the hill. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's an area that should be a conservation area and there should be. There's actually a local Labour representative, Peter Horgan, mm. seeking a protection order on it because it should be protected as a unique area of woodland, which is excellent for the environment. It's very easy to divert the buses up there and going across. The end result is the same. It's a route from east to west. Mm. So there's no need for it. I mean, it, it's just, I don't understand it. And I mean, the, the nature there, the local primary schools take the kids on nature walks there and they love it. Mm. They absolutely love it. Now, if half of it's gone, there's a very busy road going over it, there'll be no nature to see. And you go down there and there'll be nothing left except a road and a couple of trees left. I mean, we're basically, we're not going to stand for this because they're trying to push this through residents right next door to where this is planned haven't been informed. And have there been meetings about this? Like the plans became available about two weeks ago to people. Have people been meeting in the Douglas area to discuss it? Now I know there there were some um, city councillors who met with um, people down in the Mangla last Friday. It was organised by Kieran McCarthy but there was Mary Rose Desmond there and Des Cattle were there as well to give people information and actually physically hand out brochures that people hadn't been given and giving them information about the public consultation which is happening in Nemo 
that's next Wednesday. So it's Wednesday the 27th from 2 till 7 and Thursday the 28th from 9 till 2. Now that's with um, the NTA and the Bus Connect creators of this. Mm. So, I mean, that's the public consultation that's available. But on the ground, people are meeting, people are setting up WhatsApp groups, people are setting up community groups and we're all joining together to fight this. You have a petition as well, I believe. Yeah, I created a petition um, called Save the Mindless because I just felt so strongly about it. I mean, I, I've lived in Douglas my whole life. I have childhood memories of playing there and my kids love it and everyone loves it, you know, and, you know, want to walk their dogs. So I created a petition to Save the Mindless so it'll be presented when we have the signatures. People are finding out about it now. People are sharing. A lot of people didn't even know about the plans unless they were on, on social media. And a lot of people, especially the older residents, wouldn't be. Mm. So um, what we're doing is we're going to campaign to get as many signatures as possible, present it to those responsible for this plan, and we will fight and fight and fight and stand together to make sure this doesn't happen. We have a great sense of community here and the community spirit. We, we're joining together to make sure this doesn't happen because it's a step too far. Mm. It really is a step too far. There's enough going on in the city, different projects, but it's a step too far to tear down this ancient woodland, which is also of huge historical value. Um, and I mean, we've often had people on this show on the Opinion Line on 96FM saying that we need more green spaces, not less green spaces yeah. in the city and the surrounding areas. And it just seems to go against what people have been calling for to try and take out one of the green spaces that's enjoyed by families all over Douglas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And further afield, you mm. know, people who come shopping in Douglas will go for a walk on the Mangla. Mm. So it, it it doesn't make sense to cut down trees. No, I'm not an engineer, Nina, by any stretch of the imagination. But I know with big projects like this, they go away, they get a design team, they, they draw up plans, then they go out to public consultation and then um, the plans are reviewed in light of what has been said. But wouldn't it make sense for the people who are drawing up the plans to maybe go out and talk to the community first and, and see what the problems are going to be? Yeah, it would make absolute sense but they are refusing to engage with the public. They're mm. point-blank refusing to engage with the public. I suppose um, that's why they're having these public consultations, is to... Ah, uh, yeah, but I mean, perhaps these are only for optics, but I think that people feel so strongly about this mm. that we're going to make them sit up and listen to us. Yeah, I think a couple of the councillors had been giving out as well about the timing of the meetings that either during the summer holidays when people are away and indeed I was speaking on the air to Sarah whose garden uh, this route is going to be going through and she was absolutely devastated and she said that her and her family are going to be on holidays when the public consultation for the Douglas route is going to be happening and then some of the councillors were saying as well as that that they're finished at 7 o'clock in the evening which doesn't suit a lot of people either because they're either working during the day or they have young kids and the kids, you know, it clashes with bedtime. So um, yeah, yeah. it just it's, doesn't it, seem to make any sense that they're having these at this I, time. I checked to see if it's possible to attend virtually and it's not. Now, if they were to arrange another public consultation in September, when people are back, the kids are back at school, people are back from holidays, that would be much more effective. Mm. But they're trying to steamroll this through is what I can see. But there, there are enough people spreading through word of mouth now that, you know, even if somebody 
can't attend themselves, they'll, they'll make sure they'll make sure that somebody else will be able to attend for them because we, we need to stop this. Have you many signatures on the petition? Uh, close to a thousand now. Wow. Okay. I mean, I mean, this is only one section of of what they intend to what they plan to do, but because so many people use the mangla and, and enjoy it, mm. that I think they will sign this petition to do everything they can. Yeah. To to, try, to, to save the mangla, created the hashtag save the mangla. And is the and petition online? Yeah, Google it, save the mangla, and it's on uplift.ie. But on the Facebook page of Douglas now that I run with a few others, I've created the hashtag to save the mangla. It's on there. So if anyone wants any, all the, the links to create public submissions to sign the petition, is everything in the topic section under hashtag save the mangla. So all the information is there for people put together because it can be difficult for people to find the information, you know, because mm. people don't know exactly where to look for it and there's waves of plans that you have to try and find your area in. Yeah. So, you know, people people have put up a lot there, you know. Um, and it, it's very important that people, as well as signing the petition, create official submissions to the Bus Connect, to the NTA. And the more people submit, submit the better to stand up. That's it, power in numbers. Power in numbers, people power is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Nina, thanks for talking to me today and best of luck with everything. And uh, it's one I think that we're going to be covering for some time. You know, it's the Douglas community that's affected, but it's also Ballincollig and all along the Model Farm Road. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people are not happy about this plan. There are public consultations going on over the next week and we'll just have to wait and see what comes out of those public consultations. We will. We will. We just have to see what happens next and then mm. I would anticipate keep fighting further and I think that that's what the city-wide what has to be done. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, Nina, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thanks for taking the time. And Councillor Rick Nugent has been in touch to say there's a reminder for Bus Connects Cork public information events are taking place at the Silver Springs Hotel in Tivoli this evening between 2pm and 7pm and tomorrow from 9am until 2pm for the following sustainable transport corridors that's the Dunkettle to City Mayfield to City Blackpool to City Holly Hill to City and Sunday as well to Holly Hill and he says it's vital that members of the public attend these events and thank you to Nina for talking to me there about um, the Mangala Woods. More coming up on the Bus Connects app. Now Marie you're also upset um, about the plans to build this bus corridor over the Mangala Woods. I was speaking to Nina there and uh, she was talking about the petition. Um, search Save the Mangala on uplift.ie on uplift.ie itself or it's easier if you use Google. Marie you also are are devastated over these plans? I am indeed, yeah. I just feel that the Mangala, it's, to my knowledge, one of the last places left in Douglas that you cannot drive a car so people can walk there freely, not worried about traffic coming up behind you, the children can run around. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's devastating. It's devastating, really. I mean, like you were saying there that um, it's the only place really in Douglas that's free of cars. Um, it's used by a huge number of people on a daily basis, isn't it? It is. It's used, used by people of all ages. People coming down from Donnybrook, coming down to Douglas to go to work. Uh, children going to school. Uh, people just out meeting their friends. 
it's it's used for so many things. Do and you go over there regularly there. yourself, Marie? I would. I would. I would. I'd go over there. I'd bring my grandchildren, my grandchildren there, and the dog. Mm. Take them over there. Yeah, because <laughs> they love to go down into the little stream. They love the streams in the Mangla. Put their feet in. So what are your concerns and your fears now around this plan to build this bridge over the Mangala? Well, it's just not going to be the same. The amount of trees that will have to be taken out, the paths up the higher level near the Carrigaline Road, they will all disappear. Mm. The, The wildlife, I mean, the birds are not going to stay there with the noise. The bats won't stay there. So it's just like as if everything will disappear. And I think it's awful then for people in Douglas that will have parts of their gardens taken away. And these will be a compulsory. They won't have a choice if this goes ahead. Yeah, like It'll I was speaking on the air to Sarah last week and the plans look like one, that that route is going to be going right through her garden and she was absolutely devastated. And, you know, she'd only bought her house three years ago and now it looks like this bus corridor is going to be going right through her garden. That's very unfair. Mm. That's very unfair. And then, I mean, if, going, if it's going to be a compulsory order, they won't even have a choice. They won't have a say in it. So I think it's very important for people to attend the meetings now this week. The meetings, you know? I was I was going through the meetings there that are happening in Silver Springs in Tivoli. That's um, this evening and tomorrow. And there's um, other um, evenings, other events happening later this week for the Douglas area. There is indeed. Uh, there's one on Wednesday, the 27th, from 2pm to 7pm, and Thursday, the 28th of July, from 9am to 2pm. Mm-hmm. And they're on at the Nemo Rangers GA Club. So I think, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to get as many people to attend these meetings as possible. Will you be going yourself, Marie? Oh, I will. I will. Oh, yes, I will. Mm-hmm. I will indeed, yeah. Like we were talking yeah. there earlier about, um, you know, the the stepping stones preschool and and saving the preschool and uh, TD Thomas Gould was talking about people power. Do you think that uh, people power will win out on this one? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Do you know now? I just hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think you know, if a lot of people would stick together, uh, we could win out on this. It mm. could go in our favour. But like people will have to come together in numbers, you know, they'll have to come together. It's just, I mean, like, you know, kind of uh, before I let you go there, Marie, it's just, you know, it kind of defies logic, really, doesn't it? That they're making this sustainable transport model for the city, but yet they're taking out the only green area that's in Douglas. But sure, this is it, sure. I don't know. I don't know who's thinking this is or who's sitting at a desk pushing a pen mm. and not even coming down to look at the place to see what they are destroying. Maybe if they came down and had a good look at it, it would help to change their mind instead of sitting at a desk and writing out what they think is right. I don't know. I hope so. Okay, Marie, thank you for talking so. to me on the opinion line this morning. Ioli, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. You're not happy about this plan either, Ioli. 
I am not happy at all. This bridge, if it goes ahead, if it's to be built, it will be built right next to where I live, right on my front door, literally. That's the first thing I'm going to see in the morning. The one thing that I'm going to be hearing 24-7 is car horns and and car engines. The air that I breathe uh, is going to be absolutely polluted compared to what I breathe now. Um, It's just absolute shambles. And um, what I'm not happy about is that seeing as I live right next door to where this proposed plan would be taking place, I heard nothing about it from any officials. I heard about it, well, I'm very thankful to Nina O'Neill and to Councillor Kieran McCarthy, who held so many meetings and tried to inform the public here in Douglas because we heard nothing about it. We knew nothing about it until a few weeks ago. And some of my neighbours who are not on social media or are not that socially active still don't know about it. So we're now in the process of informing our neighbours, informing our uh, the Douglas residents, informing pretty much everybody who is using the Mangala. And, and that is a whole lot of people. Mm. Um, people feel very, very strongly about this bridge. And, and um, what I don't understand is how is the NTA enhancing focal points by destroying the already enhanced areas? Do you know how much work has our community put into the Mangala? How many trees have been planted by schools, by volunteers, and how much this area has actually prompted people to walk the sustainable talk, not just, you know, enjoy nature, but also give back to it? So to think that the NTA, um, headed by the Minister of the Environment himself, has proposed the destruction of such a green area, cherished by generations as the most sustainable option for Douglas and for Cork City and for Ireland in general, that is shocking. But the profound lack of transparency and and any sort of democratic procedure around this proposed plan, that's 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 simply scary. And I suppose, Ioli, the um, whole purpose of these information meetings is to get the views of the public. And just, I was talking there earlier to Marie about um, the public information meetings and Councillor Mary Rose Desmond has been in touch to say um, mm-hmm. the meetings on Wednesday and Thursday are for the remainder of the South Side, not just Douglas. That includes Boring Manor Road, Turner's Cross, Ballyfehan, Grange, Frankfield. It's Wednesday 2pm to 7pm and um, Thursday 9am to 2pm. Thank you for that Councillor Desmond. So there's a huge, huge number of people who are going to be affected by this and Dioli when -hmm. you were buying your house, I mean you were talking there about having this massive um, bus corridor right in front of your your garden. Mm -hmm. I mean when you were buying your house this was not what you were expecting. Um, no, I didn't buy my house. I'm a tenant, but uh, the owner, I've, I've spoken to her because she lives in Kerry. She didn't even know about it. So mm. I had to inform her that right next to her property is going to be built at a 20 meter wide bridge. Um, so what um, I think the plan is right now is to inform the rest of the owners and submit a joint, uh, a joint, a joint submission, basically, with all the owners. But that um, affects me as well, because when I chose to rent this place, mm. that was the main reason I chose it, you know, this this nature around, the fact that I, I walked 20 seconds and I'm next to a river and, and the woodlands and all of this, That that's exactly why I chose this area. And given the housing crisis, I don't really have much of a much of a choice here, do I? Like if I was to leave Douglas tomorrow because of this bridge, where would I go? I mean, it's, it's hardly uh, possible to find anything in this area or any other area of Cork Right and now. your your main concerns so are noise pollution and the the potential for the impacts on the environment. 
Absolutely. I mean, if this plan, uh, if this bridge is to go ahead, that would remove at least 50%, 50% of the woodlands here. I mean, isn't this green area the, the, the kind of sustainability goals we should be walking towards and not, not destroying? And what I would like to see from the NTA is the carbon balance of the construction of this bridge against its um, operational life, basically. That's what I want to know. How is this bridge going to make Douglas or Cork or Ireland more sustainable when we destroy the green areas that we're supposed to be creating more of um, and replacing them with a 20-meter-wide bridge which is going to hold uh, bus lanes and and traffic both ways? Mm. How is that more sustainable and how is that a, a more livable city? How is that turning Cork into a more livable city. Definitely not for us, that's for sure. Um, We're all for change, okay? I am that person who doesn't have a car. I need to commute. I need buses. But that goes against everything I know about sustainability and and against everything I believe in. And And I think it's important, Ioli, to point that out, that the whole plan is to try and make commuting in the city a lot more easy for people and a lot more accessible. And, you know, we've been hearing stories time and time again of buses that haven't arrived for people or buses that have been laid Mm -hmm. for people and you know I think everybody understands that there is a need to improve that system but what you're saying is you can't improve the system to the detriment of what's around the area in Douglas and I suppose other the areas that Mary Mary Rose Douglas was announcing there along the Boring Manor Road, Grange, what Councillor McNugent was saying there's many areas in the north side that have um, concerns around the plan as well so I suppose it's Mm -hmm. important for the people who are um, drawing up the plans to listen to those concerns and take them on board of course, of course. I mean, we're, I, I don't think that anybody in Cork believes that we don't need a better transport system. We definitely do. But at what cost? Why should we be destroying the green, the few, one of the few remaining green areas in Cork uh, to build something that maybe it will help, maybe it won't. Maybe it will be more sustainable, maybe it won't. I personally uh, doubt both both those points but mm. the most the, the most detrimental part is that they will be destroying the jewel of Douglas the, this this green area that generations have cherished and generations will continue to cherish um, and and that just cannot come back you know once it's done it's done um, and I I don't know I'm, it's just shocking how little we knew about it um, and I personally unfortunately won't be able to attend the Nemo Rangers because they decided to do it in the middle of the summer and I'm literally leaving for my holidays today so I won't even be able to voice my concerns there yeah like I was talking to Sarah last week who's um, you know her that the, one of the routes looks like it's going to go through her garden and she was saying the same thing she said that she won't be able mm-hmm. to go to the meeting because she's on her summer holidays so um, mm-hmm. and we've heard about the timing of the meetings that a lot of them uh, don't suit people who are working because they're during the day and they're finished at seven o'clock exactly well yeah and then we have the the deadline as well which was recently extended by three days so everything just happened very fast very um have you got somebody who'd be able to maybe go on your behalf and represent your concerns I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I mean, maybe some of my neighbours here, but mm. um, I personally don't have anybody that I can send in my name. And I'm, I'm devastated about that because I feel very, very strongly about this, just like everybody else in Douglas, I'm sure. Mm. Okay. Ioli, it's one we'll definitely be watching with interest over the coming months. Thank you for joining me on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM this morning to talk about that. And if anybody else has concerns around this Bus Connects route, 
the proposal and you'd like to have a chat with us, it's 0818969696 or text or WhatsApp 0833969696. Now we were talking to uh, Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould earlier about the development in the Stepping Stones Farin, um, Preschool in Farinry, which um, it was announced earlier this month that it was going to be, cl- uh, it wouldn't be reopening in September. Um, and uh, Cork City Childcare is putting it out for tender now this week and they're hoping that within the next week they'll have uh, a suitable candidate selected and they'll be hoping that it would move fairly quickly after that and will be opening um, on August 29th under a new ownership Um, and Ken has been in touch to say if the centre is saved will the children who already had preschool places be afforded the opportunity of getting those places back my son was due to start there for the upcoming preschool year Um, and our research team Thomas and uh, or Fergal and Richard have uh, put the question to Thomas Gould and he has come back and he says that yes that is the plan also we were talking earlier about um, cashless banks and Kate has been in touch to say Carrigaline PTSB is cashless. I overheard an elderly gentleman say he takes the bus to Douglas to do his cash business. Um, thank you for that, Kate. A lot of people um, with PTSB, and I know that they've been cashless now for some time. Um, I think there was major outrage over AIB because there are so many customers uh, using AIB, but of course they reversed that decision on Friday and a lot of people were happy about that. But there is that whole issue of are we going to be turning into a cashless society and how that's going to impact on people. Also, um, another issue that has been talked about a lot in recent weeks is uh, Love Island and the behaviour of some of the contestants on the show this year. Uh, thousands of people have lodged complaints about um, the show this year with allegations of misogyny and some controlling and toxic behaviour that uh, people have seen on the show. And joining me now to talk about this is Mary Hayes, who's the project lead for Women's AIDS 2 Into You. Good morning, Mary. Morning. Mary, um, I suppose, first of all, you know, this is a reality TV show and um, a lot of it is produced um, and edited um, and they, they, you know, they go with the the most dramatic moments in it. But we have seen um, some kind of worrying patterns, problematic behaviour, particularly, I think most recently, what really incensed people was the game um, pie in the face and, um, you know, that one contestant in particular um, had a pie quite forcefully um, in, in her, pushed into her face by two of the boys um, like what um, what is that showing to the viewers first of all Mary like what with that game I mean like do you think that there was any need to have that game yeah, so I suppose, um, first of all, thank you for having us on. Um, this has been getting a lot of um, attention recently. So it has kind of started an important conversation around these, you know, these behaviours that we've been seeing. Um, and, you know, in the villa this year, we've really seen um, some worrying displays of, you know, like bullying and toxic masculinity, misogyny. But I think the real issue is, is that there's this real double standard that we're seeing. So the girls, you know, they're playing the game of the villa just like the guys, but they're being held to this much higher standard and they're really being vilified and, um, you know, bullied with a lot of guys ganging up on on one girl, like the the game you uh, spoke mm. about there. And I suppose the issue is, is when these... Um, 
displays of casual sexism go unchecked. They're seen as kind of accepted and as part of lad culture and also as part of dating culture. And our real concern in women's aid is that, you know, these dangerous dating behaviours, when they're broadcast as entertainment and not really called out for what they are, they're accepted and they're normalised. And because there are so many young people watching Love Island, you know, learning about relationships and they might not have any experience of dating themselves. So they've nothing to kind of compare to. They're, you know, taking what they're seeing as face value. And, you know, we're not saying any of the Islanders are, you know, abusers. But if these things happened, you know, these behaviours happened in the real world and became part of a pattern. Um, like, you know, the gaslighting, love bombing, things like that, then these would really be seen as a red flag for abusive behaviours. Mary, could we look at it then that um, there is a silver lining in this in the fact that um, it is highlighting what's not acceptable? Absolutely. I mean, you know, abuse is, is very common in Ireland, relationship abuse. So one in five young women um, aged 18 to 25 have been subjected to abuse in an intimate relationship by um, a current or former male partner. But the issue is, is that a lot of young people don't know how to spot the signs of abuse and, um, you know, they won't seek support because of fear of not being believed, things like that. So when we see these behaviours on TV, it starts to open up a conversation around these behaviours, red flags, gaslighting, things like that. Mm. Um, and it, it starts to make it kind of part of um, pop culture and also part of the conversations that young people are having with each other. And I suppose that's, you know, what we're trying to do with our Two Into You campaign. So we have a dedicated website. Um, it's twointoyou.ie. And on there, young people can learn about, you know, the red uh, flags for abuse, the signs of unhealthy versus healthy relationships. And we also have a dedicated instant messaging support service. So that's available for anyone, you know, it's completely free and confidential and if anyone you know um sees something on the show and kind of recognize it recognizes it in their own relationship or even in a friend's relationship you know they can use that chat service and chat through uh with the helpline team and they can also call the uh, women's age 24-hour national free phone helpline um and that's 1800 341 900 and Mary, we said there at the start that the show is heavily edited and the games are made up by the producers. So like, do you think that the um, producers or that ITV in particular um, should have a responsibility towards its female contestants? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen changes in the show over the last few years. They did bring in inclusivity training, you know, around things like racism and disability. But uh, Women's Aid in the UK put out a statement and they were shown the training by ITV. And, you know, they said that the glaring gap was really around specific information on abusive relationships and um, an understanding of, you know, controlling behaviours. So really, you know, the producers, they they should know when to intervene and when to challenge um, these kind of unacceptable um, behaviours. And at a minimum, you know, they should be signposting um, to supports on, on the ad breaks mm. and, and at the end as well. Because the producers um, and, and ITV have been in trouble before with Love Island around the, the treatment of the contestants. Um, and, and, you know, they, they were bringing in measures to protect their contestants. But it seems this year that, um, you know, that there's a lot of this kind of um, alleged misogyny going on and controlling behaviour that we see um, in the hour um, in, in the hour broadcast at night time. But um, you know, like, do you think that it needs to be reviewed again now before the before next year? 
Yeah, I suppose there. I think there does there. You know, there needs to be some changes made because really we can't continue to see these behaviours coming up. You know, over and over again. Mm. Um, you know, the term gaslighting it was kind of popularised a few years ago when one of the contestants was was accused of gaslighting um, one of the other girls. Um, so the producers, you know, were aware of it, and we are we are seeing it again this year. And you know, if young people are watching this, it's it's can be very um, dangerous because, you know, gaslighting it's often um, dismissed, I suppose, as kind of toxic or part and parcel of a relationship. But actually, it's a really dangerous form of emotional abuse, and it can really wear down someone. So so what it does is. You know, it causes someone to doubt themselves, to question what's happened. So say, for example, you know, uh, somebody was accused of flirting, but they know that they weren't flirting. But their partner says you were. Everyone says it. You know, you sound crazy. Um, you absolutely did this. So she begins to kind of convince herself, oh, maybe I actually did. And what that does is mm. over time, it really, you know, wears down her intuition and her kind of sense of independence and her trust in her gut. And that's what can make it so difficult to leave abusive relationships is these things happen so quickly or sorry so uh fully especially at the start of a relationship that by the time you know you're really trapped in a dangerous situation you don't realize it so that's why when we're seeing these things um move so fast in the villa because it is reality tv you know they're not reflective of real relationships or how people date on the outside but again you know when young people are watching this and saying okay well if that's how they're doing it in there then if you know that's what my relationship looks like that's okay but actually it's not yeah and like even for the contestants I mean they're in you know it is a reality TV show and I know that it has to be um, as dramatic and as entertaining as possible for people to continue to watch it but you know even for the contestants themselves whatever they're feeling in the villa when they come out and they see the reaction that they've been getting from the public on, on social media in particular I mean that's going to have a lasting impact on them as well as what happens on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And they are, I suppose, really in a fishbowl and, um, you know, people are looking at what they're doing afterwards, what they're saying. Um, so, yeah, I think the show does have a responsibility to the contestants, but it, it I think it that they know that they do now um, after some very, you know, unfortunate tragedies over the last few years. Um, but I also think there's a real response or opportunity, I suppose, with some of the previous contestants. You know, we've seen um, Maura Higgins, who was on it before, mm. call out um, online abuse and things like that, which is really great. You know, these people, they're going in and they're really gaining these huge platforms and um, I suppose a position of, you know, being an influencer and having influence over young people. So I think it would be fantastic if we saw from some of the older contestants, especially some of the male contestants, you know, the good guys calling out and saying, hey, this isn't OK. You know what I'm seeing? That's not what, you know good guys do and to really kind of take that leadership role because we do as a society need to stand up against sexism and it's things like this you know it's not just in our laws um in but it's also in our media and the things that we consume you know to to call these things out as we see them mary as i said you're the project lead for women's aids to into you campaign so if people are in a relationship and they think that they um may be suffering from some of the things that you highlighted there like gaslighting love bombing um you know what can they how can they find uh, to into you and when they do go on there like is it advice for people what to do the signs to look out for is that what's on this camp, um, website? 
Yeah, so um, on the website, um, people can find information, so practical information and also support. So the website is, I'll spell it out, so it's T-O-O. I-N-T-O-Y-O-U dot I-E, two into you, the words. Um, so on there, we actually have a healthy relationship quiz and it's just 10 short questions. So if anyone has any concerns about their own relationship, they can go on there and um, just see if their relationship is healthy or unhealthy. There's also, you know, the 10 kind of common warning signs of abuse. We also have um, a tool for helping a friend. So if, you know, you're worried about a friend's relationship and how their partner treats them, you can go on there and see how to start the conversation with them, things like that. And as I've said, we also have the instant messaging support service um, that's available daily. And, you know, it's it's not really, I suppose there isn't a threshold for abuse if you don't have to think that you're in an abusive relationship to go onto the website or to seek um, information or support. It's good to kind of get ahead of these things and learn the red flags, learn the common warning signs so that, you know, when you're in a relationship, you'll know um, what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. And also um, we have uh, our social media accounts as well at Two Into You on Instagram and Twitter. And I think it's really important if people can share the campaign because you never know who's going to be looking at your Instagram story who might need to know about help or supports. Um, so I suppose that's the two uh, most useful things people can do is to go to 2into.ie and to follow the campaign on social media. Okay, that's brilliant. That's Mary Hayes. Thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Mary Hayes, Women's Aids, 2into.you campaign. And for anybody who wants that website again, it's 2into.ie. And also Women's Aid Helpline is, the number for there is 1-800-341-900. And that's open 24-7. We have been contacted by a mother who's asking us to put out an appeal um, for this. And if anybody can help at all, they can contact us here on the show and we'll pass on the details to this mother. She says that her son was in the grounds of McCroom Castle yesterday evening at around 8.15pm at the exercise equipment near the GAA pitch. He had a large wooden gun with him that he had made himself in school and he put it down for a moment and forgot it. When he remembered and ran back for it at 8.45pm it was gone. Someone told him they saw two young children pick it up and leave with the gun and their mother. My son is absolutely distraught. This gun meant the world to him because he made it himself in school. He is autistic and is very much attached to it. He even insisted on ringing the guards in McCroom to get them to look at CCTV. He desperately wants his gun back. Please, he would do anything to get it back. Please help. And the person has sent us on a photograph of this particular gun that the little boy made himself in school using wood and we've posted a picture of the, the gun on the opinion line Twitter if anybody wants to have a look at it and if anybody has seen it I mean I know myself um, children pick things up and um, if they see it and they think it looks really cool and they want to bring it home and um, you know they may have thought that somebody had lost it or whatever but if you have it uh, you can let us know here on the opinion line because this little boy would love to get it back and he's um, distraught over the whole thing he's absolutely distraught so yeah you can get in touch with us 0818 96 96 96 Now all weekend hauliers were stuck at the British port of Dover and the Euro Tunnel and a number of Irish uh, trucks were caught up in this gridlock and joining me now is Eugene Drennan 
who's president of the Irish Road Haulage Association. Good morning, Eugene. Absolute gridlock over the weekend for for Irish truckers. Uh, it must have been very frustrating for them. Yes, indeed. It's, it's horrific when you get trapped up into something like that. But as for the driver and for the owner and for the people who need the goods, uh, it's the first sign we've seen of the impact of Brexit in the UK because heretofore you had COVID and COVID restrictions and if people went to France last year, they'd come back and they'd be quarantined. So suddenly, uh, this week, everybody hasn't been to France for three years. And the intensity and the amount of people who move in England when they do at these holiday times is immense. And it leads to massive queues. And there, there was a number of problems came in in that the starting of the, uh, what they call stacking, where the park, the, the trucks, and another motorway and filtered them through, didn't go so well. It was the weekend and the French didn't seem to have their full complement of staff. Mm. Plus, I think they were giving a little bit of a rub to England. They're letting them see this is what Brexit means. And uh, they enforced all of the regulations and that they checked the passports and stamped them and asked them the questions, which was a multiple of time. And that led to big tailbacks. And we would have had some trucks held up in it because of... Uh, the timeline for going, a lot of the vehicles now, and the Road Heart Association was very in, involved in getting the direct ferries, but some uh, goods wouldn't be ready perhaps on Friday evening on time, or the schedule of the direct ferries may not suit, and there's still a certain number of vehicles that have to use what's called the land bridge, which is going through the UK, and they got snarled up, you know, anything from up to 30 trucks, between 10 and 30 of Irish trucks, and Irish goods got caught in that this weekend. And is it moving freely now, Eugene? It had moved this morning, yes. Uh, I think there's more staff on in Calais and they have moved it. But really, anybody who's thinking either privately or for hauliers uh, to go through that southern tip of England, either Folkestone or Dover to Calais, for the next three weeks, it will be be very, very busy. They should think twice and, and use alternative routes. Okay, um, I suppose like they'd be using that route because it's probably the cheaper option. But um, it's no, there's a number of reasons. It's not just the cheaper option, and with the price of fuel, it isn't really very much cheaper. Mm. It's more the timeline, the speed uh, to get to market. You know, it would affect your area and the Cork area uh, most, I suppose, with fresh fish mm. and perhaps shellfish. They have a very uh, limited timeline span, and the tend to go into that part of France uh, where Calais is and on down, that's the, the route. And we have to travel on what's called a T-form now for going through the UK. It's a customs uh, control document and that must be um, it must be authenticated in France in uh, Boulogne-sur-Mer. Mm. It's a town that, uh, on the weekends and that's not too far from Calais. We badly need some uh, green route for EU to EU a product when we go through the UK that the shipping lines and the regulatory authorities in France recognise that we are Irish. Um, even though the direct ferries are very good and we've got them up and running, there is still some need for uh, going through England on occasions and we should be recognised as EU to EU. And this is unfortunately uh, some of the lash we get back from Brexit and it's um, it's part of us being an island. Our island status should be brought home more and more to the UK, though the, to the EU. Though they know we are an island, the practicalities and the uh, extra 
burdens we bear because of Brexit and because of the island, I don't think they realise it fully and this would be one of them. And of course, like as you said at the start, these um, gridlocks, they do then end up having an impact on the consumers um, and, you know, I suppose our reputation as a country as well. And I know that over the weekend you were calling on the Minister for Foreign Affairs to to intervene. Um, So are you still looking for him to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Yes, well, if we were to get a green lens or to get some sort of recognition of uh, EUTU products coming from Ireland, it would take an intervention from Foreign Affairs. Mm. And we've also, I've also requested through the ambassador here and through the president of Normandy that for other goods going through, on, even on the direct ferries, that part of the coast of France should be either virtually or practically uh, designated as Irish, that we'd that mm. as the goods, particularly the ports that you have the direct ferry to, uh, some of the regulation, which there's a lot of regulation around transport and how we do our business, and we are getting caught up in overburdening uh, regulation and in too much law because um, it's deemed that we have to come back to Ireland after two movements. That is the law. And that with the direct ferry and the cost of the direct ferry now, plus the surcharge, which is called the bath, it's very, very expensive. So if we have to return to Ireland after two movements in France, uh, that is uh, too expensive and we must do something on the regulation of that. So, yes, we do need um, a little bit more easement uh, in regulation to get into France and get on with our business. Okay. any, uh, Any word back from the minister in relation to this? No, we haven't gone to the minister yet. This is we intend to now, and this is heightened. High, we have we have spoke with the with the French first because the occasion arose. The yeah. president of Normandy was here visiting Ireland, and we met him, and we started that uh, that negotiation. 
Brilliant. Okay, that's Eugene Drennan, President of the Irish Road Haulage Association. And again, that's something that we will be keeping an eye on over the coming weeks, as we will with the Bus Connects. And Councillor Kieran McCarthy has been in touch to say, for me, it's important to note that the NTA public consultation has been absolutely shocking to date. The lack of communication since the launch to affected residents and the selective sending of documentation to some local residents and not to others. Local people are finding out about dramatic road interventions by speaking to their neighbours over back garden walls. The mistrust, anger and upset is vast across the southeast, at least at this moment in time. Thank you, Councillor Keir McCarthy. And indeed, that's the uh, feeling that we've got from the callers that we've had on the show over the last two weeks. Anger and upset, uh, very visible, uh, very apparent with people who are finding out with, um, you know, that this route is going to be affecting the area that they live in and indeed so in some cases the, the house that they live in um, and they are only hearing now about it and the public consultation meetings are on or the public information events are on over the next uh, week but you know in some cases like I was speaking to Ioli there and she said she's actually going to be going on her holidays and she can't go and we had a similar situation last week as well so a lot of anger a lot of frustration and definitely one to keep an eye on over the coming months. Now, we were asking you earlier if you think that employers should give workers uh, days, compassionate leave days, if their beloved pet dies. Uh, PJ Gallagher is saying today that um, he's a spokesperson for Dogs Trust and he's saying that there should be compassionate leave because um, in many cases the pets become part of the family and uh, like your best friend. And Kev says when it comes to things like that, most employers will just give a few days as holiday if needs be. But if they don't remember next time they're short-staffed because they only see you as a number. I genuinely would look for another job over something like that, Kev. Thanks very much for that, Kev. Um, Yeah, I mean I don't know if I'd be looking for another job but definitely I would expect if I was that upset and that grieving over my pet, I would expect my employer to give me some days off um, to deal with that because it is very upsetting for people and it is very difficult for them to work. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 Something else that caught my eye over the weekend. Um, Online Sydney was in uproar when someone posted a picture of a gadget and they were asking the question what it was and many suggested that it was a marital aid of some sort. Now, looking at the pictures, I don't know why they would suggest that because <laughs> it, uh, but anyway, um, if you want to have a look at it, Online Sydney is the place to go. But it turned out anyway to be an egg cutter, which is used to chop the top off from hard-boiled eggs and uh, what we're asking our listeners today on the opinion line is what's the strangest gadget that you've ever owned let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96 now we were talking about green sites and green spaces in Cork and the OPW have many beautiful heritage sites here in Cork that people can visit either for free or for a reduced rate and joining me now to talk about some of them is Sandra Murphy. She manages Donnerail Court and Anne's Grove House and Garden. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Grand, thanks, thank th- you. Grand. Thanks for joining us. Um, Sandra, there's a number of um, heritage sites in Cork um, that I mentioned, Donnerail Court and Anne's Grove House and Gardens. What are some of the other ones that we have here in Cork? Well, we've got the, the beautiful Garnet Island, um, just off the coast of Glengariff. 
Um, and Garnish Island is, um, it's, 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 it's one of the kind of hidden treasures of, of, of Cork County. Um, it has the most beautiful gardens. Um, it also has a house called Bryce House in it, um, which has been restored, I suppose, by the OPW in recent years. Um, and it really is a fabulous place. There's so many aspects to this island. Like you've got this beautiful sunken Italian garden. Um, you've got a Martello Tower on the island. There's so much to explore there. And like you said, Fiona, you know, entry charges are quite modest. So in a time where I suppose everybody is feeling the pinch, this is the perfect place to go because the mm. entry rates are quite low. And if you're visiting with a family, you know, un- children under 12 are free to all of our OPW sites. So um, Garnish is a really special place to go. Um, and you can get boats out to it. Um, the entry charge to the island includes access to the house as well. And it really is a beautiful spot to visit. If you've never been there before, I would say definitely go this summer. And photo, I mean, like everybody is familiar with Photo Wildlife Park, but there's a beautiful, beautiful garden and, and house uh, there as well that people can go and visit without going to the wildlife park. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Photo House and the, the Arboretum outside it are um another beautiful Cork site. And again, the gardens are free to visit um, the OPW maintain those. And it's another really great place for you to bring your family on a day out um, and just enjoy kind of Cork's heritage without having to pay a huge amount for your family for the day. And you can bring a picnic down. You can just relax and and completely enjoy the natural aspect of, of life down there. And Charles Fort and Kinsale is another one. Yeah, now Charles Fort is um, is slightly different to the gardens, but it is a, an absolutely fabulous place to visit. Um, and it's the type of place where I brought my family there a couple of years ago and we literally spent the entire day exploring. Um, and it's at the edge of the, North, the the Wild Atlantic Way, so it's either the start or the end of the Wild Atlantic Way, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, built in the late 17th century and the architect was William Robinson, who also designed the Royal Hospital Kamenum. Um, it overlooks the old head of Kinsale. You've got the most beautiful view out of, out of um, over Kinsale Bay. Um, and this exhibits, which gives you an idea of what life was like for the military living on there as well. Um, but it's a fantastic place to visit. Really kind of brings out, you know, the adventure aspect of, of, of exploring the place. Um, there's fantastic guiding service there, so you can get a guided tour of it, but you can also walk around it at your own pace and just kind of have a look yourself. And again, there's tea rooms there as well. So you can stop off for lunch afterwards as well. And Sandra, I mentioned that you manage Donnerail Court and Anne's Grove House and Gardens, which are magnificent places to go for days out for people. Oh, they are. Yeah. I mean, Donnerail has well over half a million visitors every year to the park. Um, And again, it's it's a beautiful estate. You come in, there's, there's great car parking facilities. There's a playground there for children. There's a beautiful tea rooms, which is attached to Donnerail Court to the house itself. Um, and then we've got the gardens on it as well. But it's um, there's a moment when you come into Donnerail and you walk up. And I mean, this landscape was designed in such a way that you would have these beautiful views. But you come up kind of over the top of the crest of a hill and you look down across the, the hill, down across the hill and down across the valley. And there's Donnerail Court sitting mm. in the middle of it. Um, and the kind of the, the level of thought and design that went into creating these vistas and the different parts of the parkland. Donnerail Court itself is closed at the moment because we're doing a lot of restoration work there and we'll have that open in spring 2023. So that'll be another aspect of the visit to Donnerail Park that you can go in and get a, a guided tour from one of our expert guides in the house who will tell you the story and really bring the place to life for you. And again, Donnerail Park is free to enter. 
And, and, and Sandra, the, um, a lot of these sites were closed to the public during COVID. Did that allow extra work to p- take place at these heritage sites? Yeah, I mean, well, some of our heritage sites remained open. So the likes of Donnerail Park remained open so that people could have a, a place to go, that local people were able to get out and walk around. Um, but it meant that kind of our guiding staff who were working in the background, we were able to do a huge amount of extra research and, and better understand the sites that we were working on so that when we reopened and people came in, we had more information to give them and we had more exciting aspects of the story for people to hear um, so in that way, it was, it was really, really good. And the fact that we were able to stay open and allow people access to these spaces during COVID was really important, I think, as well. Sandra, some places, um, I see a comment coming in there about a, a fee that they were charged on one of the sites. Um, they're, they're, some of the sites do have um, free days, that the OPW does run some free days. Um, will they be happening at all over the summer? Will there be events to keep an eye out over the summer? Oh, absolutely. So the first Wednesday of every month is free entry to most OPW sites. Um, and you can check the sites that are, are, that are in this by checking the heritageireland.ie website. So that's free entry on the first Wednesday of every month. And then during Heritage Week, um, which is coming up in another couple of weeks, we have loads and loads of events. And a lot of those events are free to enter and they're covering all kinds of things. So we've got um, talks on the theme of biodiversity. You've got special guided tours with the gardeners who are the experts in, in the gardens that they're talking about. Um, and then on top of that, then the OPW give free entry to children under 12. Um, we have free entry for anybody with disabilities and their carers. Um, and then there's most of our sites will run events throughout the year that are free entry. Um, and a lot of these are kind of family events where... Um, Guides will put on special types of tours. Some of our sites are doing special themed tours, special costumed tours, and it gives you the chance to kind of see something a little bit different out of the ordinary on these sites. Um, but because even if they're not free, the, the admission charges are so small that they're they're all kind of accessible. Um, and you can bring picnics to these areas and you can sit down and just relax and do your own thing, you know. Brilliant. That's lovely. Sandra Murphy uh, talking to us just about some of the OPW heritage sites in Cork. And as she said, if you want to have some information on any of the free events that are happening, you can go on the various different websites for each of the sites and you'll get all your information there. The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12-month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time and there's still time to vote for your favourite in the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. You'll find the shortlist on our website. So go to 96fm.ie now and have your say. I'll bring you some of the um, the categories now. For Best Gym, we have Anytime Fitness, Dennehy's Health and Fitness, District Health and Leisure, EMF Lifting and Laughing and MT Fitness. And Best Beauty Salon, Hello Beauty Studio, Image Beauty Salon, Permanent Beauty Salon, Sweetness Hair and Beauty and the Beauty Zone. And of course, all of the categories are available on our website, 96fm.ie. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie, your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians,
questions and much more only on Cork's 96FM. That gadget that I was talking about, um, it was posted online Sydney, on online Sydney and it's it looks like the top of a can with a hole in the middle of it and then like a scissors handle on the side of it. People were suggesting that it was like some sort of a marital device, we just say, but it was actually used to cut the top off hard-boiled eggs and um, it caused a bit of an uproar and I was asking you for some of your strange gadgets um, and I don't think I've ever bought like particularly strange gadgets but I know I've bought an awful lot of uh, gadgets in the middle aisle sections of the likes of Lidl and Aldi and thought that they would be a great addition to the house and then I get them home and realise that uh, no, I have absolutely no use for this whatsoever and I'm sure there are many, many people out there who have done the same and we were asking you what is the strangest gadget you have ever bought? Let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 and one person I'm sure never ever buys any useless gadgets is uh, Jerry O'Toole Glynn from Jerry Designs Interior Designer. Good morning Jerry. Hello, good morning, Jerry. We seem to have a little problem there with getting Jerry on the phone. Do we? Good morning, Jerry. No, okay. So I'll bring you this first of all while we try to get Jerry there. Um, Cork's 96 FM's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. We're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with a Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie. Do we have Jerry? No, okay, we seem to have a little bit of trouble there with Jerry on the phone, but we'll try and get her back. Another story that caught my eye over the weekend was um, the RSA says that they have received over 280 complaints every month um, from people who have... Um, gone to take their driving test and um, they have lodged complaints about the 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 um, driving instructors um, and they have failed as a result and one of them was uh, a lady complained because she had um, she hadn't uh, brought brought up the handbrake and um, the car was rolling back down the hill and the instructor roared at her and um, I mean like Obviously, the instructor was uh, roaring at her because they were concerned for their safety in the car, but she lodged a complaint about that. Um, another person says, I was punished five times for not going fast enough on the straight, which I disagree with. Um, but I suppose there is, I know that there's a speed limit, but there's also a, a, a speed that drivers are supposed to go at. Um, but uh, yeah, some, there's, there's a whole host of complaints that people have made. Uh, 280 complaints a month. It seems like an awful lot. So if anybody has any funny driving test stories, I know that when I took my first driving test, I was up in a heap altogether and um, the driving instructor asked me if I had my uh, letter and I didn't have my letter. I didn't even know what he was talking about. So I had to race back home frantically looking for this letter that I never found. Went in, um, went into the test centre in a heap and they didn't ask me for the letter and um, I didn't know what I was doing and I failed completely. So, <laughs> but I did pass the next time. But anybody who has any funny um, driving test stories, you can let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96.
Earlier on, um, we were talking about the queues outside Apple Green service stations across Cork because the service station had a flash sale yesterday and they were offering fuel, uh, petrol and diesel for one ninety nine a litre and there was queues and queues outside places all over Cork yesterday. Um, but some people didn't uh, get the discounted price and we have been in touch with Apple Green um, and... Um, we have confirmed that this is genuine where people, somebody had sent us on a copy of um, a, a message that they got from Apple Green and um, they were saying that they didn't get the, the discount that they had queued for and the company had said thanks for your mail um, we would be more than happy to supply you with a voucher to reimburse the extra cost and that was when the person had sent them a copy of their receipt so I think if people uh, didn't get the um, the the price that was advertised that they were entitled to get a refund um, by sending off their uh, receipt to Apple Green. Um, And with regards to attractions, Kieran has been in touch to say Morning. I visited Garnish Island over the weekend. There is no modest fee. For two people to visit the island, it costs €38. Euro. The ferry is €14 euro per person with an entrance fee of €5. Euro. Yeah, that does sound like a lot, but I suppose, Kieran, if they are putting in so much work into Garnish Island and, and keeping it beautiful, then maybe they have to pay for the um, upkeep of it. But it does seem fairly steep. And, um, you know, we were talking about modest fees for places that doesn't seem very modest really. Um, with regards to the driving tests, uh, Kate has been in touch to say there was a guy who rocked up to the test centre in the UK and beeped to alert them he was there and was duly failed. And rightly so, Kate. Can't carry on like that at all. Uh, let us know if you have any funny driving test stories. Get in touch with us here on the show 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Window in Amsterdam and best look of course to Rihanna from us all here at the Opinion Line and I'm sure that a lot of people in Cork will be uh, rooting for you there Rihanna uh, best of luck in that we were asking you earlier for the strangest gadgets that you've ever owned and there was uproar on online Sydney over the weekend when somebody wanted to know what um, they had an egg cutter to cut the top off hard boiled eggs and they had posted a picture of it and people were had coming up with all sorts of suggestions as to what it might be and we were asking you what's the strangest gadget that you ever owned we've been getting some uh, really good ones in and I will bring those to you keep them coming in 0818 96 96 96 083 396 96 96 but before we come to the gadgets uh, I wanted to have a chat with Frank Connolly who has written um, a book about uh, United Ireland and it's called United Nation The Case for Integrating Ireland and um, it's fair to say Frank that you uh, meticulously researched this book it's an excellent book it's nearly 400 pages full of interviews with soldiers um, former police officers lawyers academics activists artists writers actors singers poets politicians ordinary men and women um, what, uh, good morning Frank 
Good morning, Fiona. Frank, what um, what spurred you on to, to write this book? Because I said, you know, there's an awful lot of work in it and it's um, it's an excellent book about what a united Ireland might look like and what are the chances of getting that. So where was the... the well, how, how did you come about writing this? Why did you decide to write this book? Well, it was um, early in 2020 and I was discussing it with the Gill commissioning editor, uh, as to what non-fiction book I would do. I had previous books, as you probably know, called Nama Land and, and one on Tom Gilmartin. Um, and I said that I thought that the debate about um, a unity referendum or a border poll, as some people refer to it, um, was going to intensify, and particularly given Brexit. Um, the situation has fundamentally changed because of a decision by the people in the UK to leave the European Union, um, whereas... 56% of voters in the north voted to remain and that has created a fundamental shift in views I think and indeed the political dynamics in the north mm. so that was the first thing that really spurred this on the debate was only had has has been intensifying north of the border for some years but it was only beginning to develop I thought down south both at a political level at media level and in terms of uh, research in the in the academic uh, fields and then, of course, what happened within a couple of weeks of, of having that discussion, COVID landed and uh, we were thrown into that shock. So the two years that I did spent researching and writing the book was really following uh, the ending of the negotiations for Brexit between the EU and the, and the UK and also tracking the COVID crisis and how that impacted on the on the uh, the issue of an all island health service, which of course became became a subject for a debate in terms of how we deal with a public health crisis such as COVID on an all island basis. So that and the interviews that I then did with people, as you mentioned, um, President Michael D Higgins was kind enough to give me an interview. Um, David McWilliams and and Seamus McGuinness from the SRI are economists. Um, Ian Marshall, a, a former senator, a unionist. Um, a member of the Unionist Party now, but he wasn't then. Um, um, members from the Loyalist community, Republicans, and writers, as you mentioned, Brian Keenan, who, of course, is famously known as being a, a hostage in the Lebanon, but he's from East Belfast, and uh, he speaks very eloquently about about his view on how Ireland could be integrated or united. And, of course, the educational specialists as well, because mm. education, health, um, and, and the economy, as well as the constitutional changes. These are the key issues along with convincing enough people in the north that it's in their long-term interests and their children and grandchildren's interests maybe to be as one island of 8 million people or 7 to 8 million people rather than a um, a divided island and, and of one part in, in a very as a poor region of the United Kingdom outside of the European Union. Frank, you mentioned a shift in attitudes brought about by Brexit, and you know um, I was actually quite surprised when I read that the Good Friday Agreement is approaching its twenty fifth anniversary. I can't believe it's actually that long ago now, but we did see. Um, you know, some protests in loyalist areas in particular um, earlier this year, we saw some cars being burnt out, we saw um, a, burst, a bus burnt out um, do you know, so you know, there's obviously still some pockets of people who um, do not want to bring about change uh, so, you know, like the challenges that we have to bring in about a united nation, um, from talking to people um, what are the challenges that we face? Well, I suppose you've touched on, on the one the most important challenge, and that's convincing enough members within unionism and loyalism that their future, that they might be better off. 
in 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 a stronger if you could create a a stronger economy with uh, proper public services uh, that benefit everybody uh, with access to a, a, a universal health care as they have in the north at the moment just taking health we have two dysfunctional health systems on the island of an island of 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 them um, Five million in the south now are touching. We're touching on one, one, almost two in the north. Two million people. I mean, it doesn't make sense, and and that's what a lot of the medical practitioners in in that I interview in the book, people like Gabriel Scally, and indeed um, John Crown, a specialist, who argues that it is doable to have a single all island health service, but it's not. It's not going to be easy. Um, convincing people, as you've mentioned, who in two, 2021 actually there was trouble on the streets at the, at the 23rd anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement uh, that weekend. Mm. And there was bus, bus burning and, and, and um, agitation in, in some loyalist areas around Belfast, um, mainly. Um, and they are people who were, who were con- protesting about the Northern Ireland Protocol and the fact that many people in the unionist community believe that the deal done by the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson and the European Union effectively cut off the North um, in in some way in in relation to trade and op, op, uh, in, by introducing some trade restrictions on goods moving from um, Britain to 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 Northern Ireland. Those things, as as the Irish government would argue in the EU, should be resolved in negotiations between the UK and and uh, the European Union. But that now apparently has not going to happen in the short term, at least because. The British government has is is in the process of passing a bill that effectively will scrap the protocol, but also will threaten to undermine um, the the agreement that's been made between the EU and the UK on on withdrawal uh, and on trade, and also potentially on the Good Friday Agreement itself. So we are in a very difficult situation, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be discussing what has to happen, and that is that under the terms of that agreement, there has to be a referendum at some point. Mm. And that point is coming closer because it ha- if you measure it by demographics and by political change, clearly there's a majority in the, 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 the nationalist community uh, have voted Sinn Féin as the largest party. Um, the unionist parties have, have declined in number. Not, well, they're still, they're still obviously very significant. Mm. But the growth of the other, those who don't declare as nationalist or unionist, is also rising. And that's mainly the Alliance Party, but also others. And so do you, you think can that see it's that time the demographics now for... The, yeah. yeah, do you think it's time now for this referendum then? I think the time now is to prepare for one. And that's what the book is about. There is no point in having a repeat of the shambles that was Brexit, mm. where Brit- the British people, in many view, in, 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 the, in the view of many people in Britain, didn't know what they were voting for. It would be wrong to have a referendum without preparing and telling voters, north and south, what, it would, what a, a, an all-island health service would look like, an education service, what the, how the politics would be made up, what structures we would have, what sort of relationship would there be between an assembly in the north for instance, and, and the doll, mm. um, what would be the percentage of, of unionists uh, participating in, in an all-island parliament? Um, there's a whole range of issues, and as you said, this book tries to cover as many as possible, both on, on, on those issues of identity uh, and constitutional change, um, but also on the very practicalities of what, what an all-island all economy would look like. And, and indeed, uh, from the point of view of artists, we've, I've interviewed people like uh, Christy Moore, um, Paula Meehan, the poet, um, um, Stephen Ray, the actor, uh, who all have, have, have worked 
in the north over many years in their artistic ventures and um, who, who sort of explore what, what it would mean for cultural life as well. You spoke there about um, laws and I suppose the introduction of the legislation to permit same-sex marriage and abortion in the south of the country, that kind of changed people in the north's perception of what the south was about. I think you're right, actually. And a woman called Emma Campbell, who's part of the Array Collective of Artists, uh, also features in an interview in the book. And she talks about young people having participated, and she's from a Protestant background, a unionist background. She, she describes how her and her generation um, of, of women activists participated in those referendums, those mm. important referendums uh, south of the border, and how they see that change as being so important uh, on an all-island basis as well, particularly around issues of identity, of language rights, of, of reproductive rights, because, of course, those are still issues, live issues in the North. And I think that's, that's where this discussion is going. How do we create a more equal and more balanced, uh, inclusive society, um, a single, on, on, on the, this relatively small island, uh, and retaining the benefits of membership of the EU as well? Frank, just from your conversations that you've had, you know, you've spoken to so many people for this book called United Nation, The Case for Integrating Ireland. If we did have a referendum next week, what way do you think the vote would go? I think uh, it would be a disaster to think about it next week, but I think <laughs> if the preparation is done, and there's a, as I interview historians and academics, including Brendan O'Leary, for instance, who's done a lot of work. There's a lot of work being done in the, in the academic institutions and in the research institutions. Uh, there is an Aaron's project, which is analysing and researching north-south. Mm. Um, and, and they're looking precisely at how what a referendum would look like, how, for instance, um, and this has been widely discussed, how we require... A citizens' assembly to spend some time, or a number of a citizens' assemblies, to look at all the issues we've been talking about here over a period of a couple of years, looking at the impact of on productivity, for instance. How can you build the Northern Ireland economy, particularly in those deprived areas within Protestant communities as well as Catholic communities? Um, how you improve employment prospects, and most importantly, how you keep people in education and training, where where, where levels are participation levels are very low. Uh, in some parts, in some working class communities in the north. All of this research needs to be done. All of the discussion needs to be done through citizens' assembly type of um, forums. And we need proper debate and engagement and investment by government in specific areas. Now, the Shared Island Unit that, that was set up by Michal Martin uh, when he came into government as Taoiseach in 2020, that has set out a number of areas to Im improve that sort of research and cooperation in, in, across health and education and other areas. But that needs to be intensified. And I think you need a few years of preparation. But at the same time, you can't delay a referendum forever. Mm. The demographics and the political momentum in the north is showing that a significant number of people think they deserve the right to vote on unity which is a right enshrined in the good friday agreement and i think that's that's one of the key dynamics of course it's up to the british government to decide when that referendum should take place but at the very least we should now know what the basis of that decision will be and know it and and and, and begin planning and hopefully in cooperation with with the british government uh, when things settle down in that regard
And if they want to start that planning, the first um, place that we recommend going is to read Frank Connolly's book, United Nation, The Case for Integrating Ireland. As I said, a huge body of work by Frank, a massive amount of research. He has spoken to so many people and a very interesting read for anybody who would like to know what a United Ireland might look like. United Nation, The Case for Integrating Ireland. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. I was speaking to Frank Connolly there about his book, United Nation, The Case for Integrating Ireland. And Frank will be in the Maldron in Cork City on Saturday at 4pm with copies of his book there. And if you want to have a chat with him about the book, he will be in there on Saturday. That's the Maldron at 4 o'clock. Cork's 96FM's Pride Vibes is live. It's our new online radio station playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. Join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. Stream it on the Cork's 96FM website or app and get more at pridevibes.ie. Pride Vibes, supported by Volterol, the joy of movement. Listen live now with Cork's 96FM. Now, I told you that some of the gadgets that have been coming into us um, that I would bring you some, I'll just bring you two now and I'll bring you more later on then. Uh, Margaret has been in touch to say, I got the bear paws surprisingly handy but I felt ridiculously ridiculous using them. Margaret, I never heard of these and I'm looking at a picture of them here and I can see why you felt ridiculous using them. It's um, they're like two plastic um, things that essentially look like bear paws and they've got like uh, fang looking things coming out of them and you put them on your hands and you use them then to cut up meat and it chops them up very finely so I suppose it looks like pulled pork um, that kind of a texture but um, yeah uh, I can't uh, I can I see why <laughs> you would uh, feel a bit foolish using them but if they do the job Margaret sure is not all that matters Tara has been in touch to say the magic bullet who remembers them I was so enthusiastic about it you and half the country Tara I think um, I remember one of them in my own house at home as well and I was trying to steal it from my parents because I was so envious of them having a magic bullet um, it was the thing where you put uh, they made smoothies and there was all kinds of recipes you could put all kinds of fruit and vegetables and anything that was in the kitchen into it but I mean like uh, an easy blender would have done the same thing but um, that was a massive phase uh, thank you for that Tara keep your gadgets coming in to us 0818 or 0833969696 now, uh, for anybody who is getting married, there's um, or anybody who has been married already, you know that there is a huge amount of preparation that goes into getting ready for the big day. And joining me now to talk about bridal prep packages is Shirley Feeney of Shirley's Beauty Clinic in Glamire. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Fiona. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Shirley, there's packages now for bridals for brides who want to get ready. Um, six six to twelve months really is when it starts, isn't it? Six to twelve months is when it starts. But I suppose the last two years has thrown a spanner in the works for everyone with, you know, having to reschedule their special day so many times. Mm. But there's no there's no hard, there's no rules. But if you do have the time, then choose the things that will make you feel and look your absolute best. A lot of brides will come to us about 12 months before, before because at this stage, they have their venue, their band, their flowers, they have their wedding dress. And they also might have a tattoo that they don't, they no longer want with that wedding dress. And we have the peak away, which removes the tattoos all colors and it just 
very, very few sessions, little downtime and great success with it. So some brides would start with that. Um, and then I suppose the most important thing is to book a skin consultation. Yeah. This is where we would discuss all topics. So we would bring the bride in. We would uh, do an observe a skin analysis, which is polarized lights, and it would look deeper onto a deeper level of the skin, vascular pigmentation, aging, breakouts. And then we could, you know, recommend skincare, cleanse, correct, moisturize, protect, and then we would also recommend skin treatments. So there are lots of packages to choose from to suit any any need or any concern. Um, and then, of, of course, we'd recommend, you know, um, supplements. Very important to be feeding the skin from the inside, <sighs> making sure because our foods are overstored, they're overcooked, by the time we actually get to eat them, we're not getting the nutrition. So feeding the skin from the inside, using skincare uh, of a cosmeceutical, ultraceuticals, whatever, a cosmeceutical skincare range, and then you getting the best of skin treatments. Marry those three together and you will have the best skin of your life for that special day. And like, you know, it is, it's important that you want to look your best, isn't it? You want to kind of be oh, um, the, best, the best representation of yourself. Um, and one of the things as well that you say to for people to consider in the six to twelve months before they get married is laser hair removal. Definitely. I mean, nobody wants hair. Well, you know, get rid of that unwanted mm. hair. You get really fast results, less downtime. There is, you know, amazing. Uh, now, it works only on dark hair, light skin. So you can't be actively tanning when you're getting the laser done. But test patches have to be done for laser, for tinting, for waxing. So get rid of the unwanted hair. Get your skin treatments, you know, get a deep pore cleansing such as hydrofacial, microneedling. You've got the photo rejuvenation. We have a Nordless system which literally treats over 24 skin skin conditions. Some brides might have a little bit of a breakout, you know, coming up to that day, they, the special day, they might have a little bit of stress. So there's lots of treatments that we can treat those and target those concerns. And what about, you're talking about the skin, what about the hair? So with, with the hair, so you'd have to, you definitely would have to, like when when you say what about hair to remove the hair, the hair has the to hair be dark on, for it to be removed. But the hair on your head, <laughs> <laughs> so then we could have luscious locks so, on our head. We don't want hair on the body, but we want luscious locks on our head. We don't want we don't want any hair in the rest of our body. All areas on the body can be treated. And it's safe, it's effective, and it is what people say to me. What especially brides, they were sorry that they didn't start the laser years ago, with lovely, soft, smooth skin for that special day. The laser treatments are so busy, booked up all day, every day, and amazing results. It's fantastic, but you do need six treatments, so you have to start back four to six weeks. You would do three to six treatments and they would be every four to six weeks apart. So you'd make sure that your sixth one would be coming up to a good four, a good month before your special day. Mm. But amazing results with the laser removal. Absolutely fantastic. But you do want your skin to look its best. You have to hydrate. We would encourage brides to make sure they're drinking plenty of water. 
exercise if you're not a gym bunny then at least go out do a bit of walking stretch your legs you know make sure that you're on eating healthily cut down the caffeine drink plenty of water like I said but also um, start exfoliating your skin start brushing your body you know, making sure that you get your back cleanse, your booster, if, if your dress is backless on the day. There's there's so many that so much we can talk about in the skin consultation yeah. and we can just target any concern, any skin concerns that the bride might have. And then, of course, the waxing, the tinting, making sure that, you know, their brows are perfect for the day. They're, if they decide to get a tan on the day, then they want to make sure that they get the shade right. And if they're coming in for their bridal trial makeup, have that tan on so that that shade can be exactly matched to the makeup and they know exactly what it's going to look like on the day. What about, you mentioned there about the trials. When do brides need to be booking their makeup trials and like would they need to be doing that about four months beforehand? Well, we recommend that they would do it at least three months beforehand. Look, sometimes they don't have the time, but we recommend they definitely would encourage a makeup trial. So we would encourage them to, you know, look, pick up photographs of a look that they might love, bring it into us. We can, you know, we can do a couple of trials, see what what I look they're looking for, what shade they're looking for. Is it is it a very natural? Most brides go with a very, very natural shade. Mm. But they do, we do encourage that they do the trial so that their tan is on, their shade is correct for the day and that they have the look and they're very, very happy with it on the day and they're not stressing out over what way they're going to look or, you know, will it last all day? Because the makeup, it does, it lasts all day long. And, and in this case, kind of for photographs, the four months beforehand, um, I think you call this the experimental phase. And you say that you yes. don't want, um, you don't think that major beauty treatments are necessary. But if people are going to be having invasive skin treatments or cosmetic procedures, this is the time to do it then because the skin needs definitely time to heal. For, it does, it does. I mean, you definitely would be back four months. You need to be getting your test patches and then you would get your, your peels. You would have your microneedling for fine lines, for wrinkles, just to get that radiant glow. You'd have like the likes of the hydrofacial, which is going to be a deep pore cleansing, a radiant, radiant skin on the day. And it lasts for weeks. So you would step back at least two weeks before the wedding date so that you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't risk anything coming up nearer the date. Mm. But you would want to be doing all your peels. And we do a mixture. So like we do skincare packages, skin treatments where they might buy four treatments, they get one free. So it's encouraging to, you know, keep them up every four to six weeks. And they, with the skin analysis that I mentioned earlier, they look back a couple of months later and they can see the improvements in their skin and how much their skin is glowing. And Shirley, the four to six weeks before the big day, I mean, is this the time then for doing um, lash extensions, eyebrow shaping, making those important, like the last minute appointments for nails, waxing, tanning, all that? Definitely. Like the six weeks before, you know, getting the nails, they might want to go for a French and more natural get the eyelash extensions on just to make sure that they're happy with the length and the fullness and the eyebrow shaping, the tinting, if they're doing waxing, body waxing, just to, just a couple of weeks beforehand to get all that done and they know exactly, have all their appointments booked. They know exactly what they're going to have on the few days before the wedding. Mm. 
always do the eyelash extensions uh, two days, three days before. So they've settled. The tan is to be done two days before. So it's nice and settled. Waxing is to be done the week of. So you want to make sure everything is in order. All the appointments are booked and you know exactly what you're going to have for the day for that special day. And so Shirley, you're obviously putting all of this work into yourself, but like, you know, every bride deserves to be um, pampered and have a little kind of a, a luxury time out for themselves, like a, a massage or something like that. So would, would two weeks before the wedding be a good time to have that? two weeks before the wedding it's we always recommend because you do no matter how relaxed you are you are a little bit stressed Mm. coming up to that special day wanting to make sure everything is organized everything is going right so to have a beautiful massage just even a pamper facial just before the wedding um, it's just total de-stressing and it'll just help to manage the stress levels and you know and just just to be really really more relaxed and have that radiant looking skin as well on the day so Shirley, finally, it's the wedding week now and we're coming up to the, the couple of days before for the wedding. So what would be the things then that people would need to remember to do? So the couple of days before the wedding, don't change up any, don't change up any skincare. Don't use a new mask. You know, sometimes brides, they think, oh, I'm going to try this mask just before the wedding. Don't change anything. Everything has been going great for the last few months. Don't change anything. Keep drinking plenty of water. Cut down the caffeine, you know, making sure that you're not trying any new products or anything like that. And taking the supplements, the advanced nutritional supplements, feeding the skin, getting a little bit of exercise, getting, you know, even just to stretch your legs, de-stressing and just helping to relax coming up to the wedding. Yeah, because that is so important, isn't it? It's extremely important just because you want to enjoy that day, all the work that's gone into it for the months coming up to it. Mm. You want to to enjoy that day but you don't want any surprises coming up to the wedding day by trying something new and realising it doesn't agree with your skin so best to kind of you know play it safe and go along with it and I suppose like it's important as well to remember like for the manicure and the pedicure that this is the time to do it just a couple of days beforehand so it doesn't get destroyed yeah, well, the manicure and pedicure. A lot of the a lot of the brides would have the 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 three week manicure and the pedicure, which would last for the four to six weeks. So they wouldn't get destroyed, but they would look like a bombshell on the day of their yeah, wedding, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they feel so special. They've had all this pampering, their eyelashes, their facials, their body treatments. They've had their nails, their manicures, their pedicures, and look an absolute bombshell on that on that day. You know, it's. It's one of the most special days of your life. So it is amazing. Brilliant. And before and I let you go, Shirley, um, like that's really informative and it's brilliant for anybody who is planning on getting married. Um, but you mentioned there just about removing tattoos. Is that something that a lot of people get done before their wedding that they may have tattoos, particularly on yeah. their back if they have like a backless dress? A back distress, or sometimes just even on the arm. It's a it's it might have been a tattoo they might have got years ago on holidays. There's so many getting tattoos at the moment, and then the dress that they love and they absolutely want is is not hiding the tattoo. So they would want to remove that tattoo before the wedding. They just want to look absolutely flawless and look their best on the day. 
Brilliant. Sure. Like the peak away is, yeah, it, the peak away laser. It's it's one of the best lasers on the market and it just shatters the pigment in the skin, but it doesn't heat up the skin. So it's got fewer treatments and less downtime and um, it removes all colors, which is Fiona. It's it's one, it's that's something that we've struggled with for many years, but this is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's great. There's so many, so many services that we can offer now to, rights into everyone so it's great I love the industry absolutely love it brilliant great. 24 so. years later and I still love it <laughs> and we might uh, we might bring you back another day to talk about the laser or the, the tattoo removal because I think that um, affects a lot of people I know that uh, oh, my so sister many. had a lovely tattoo on her leg and uh, she got it when she was like 18, 19 and then it just uh, she had to try and get it removed because it didn't really fit with the rest of her her look as she got older yeah. so um, and that's it as you get older it's, n- it's no longer what you're looking for you know That's so it. It, it, yeah there's so many people getting them on but there is so many people looking to get them off brilliant so yeah Shirley, I would love yeah lovely thanks so much for joining us on the opinion line this morning and we'll definitely have you back there to talk about the tattoos now I was talking as well earlier about the gadgets and some of the funny gadgets that people got or the ridiculous gadgets that they got and they never used um, Paula has been in touch to say that she got a battery operated hot knife when it had fresh batteries it was great but you'd kind of forget and after a while it broke and I suppose if you're going to be carving up the Sunday roast and you have guests there and you forget to change the batteries and you've run out and there's nothing there and uh, the meat then is uh, uncut I can see how that would become a problem Paula uh, but it looks great if it does work properly um, I, I don't know if I've ever seen that but I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that one um, Lena has been in touch to say the sham wow people used to laugh at me but it was really good I keep meaning to buy it again um, thank you Lena I actually didn't know what a sham wow was and had to look it up there and it's kind of a, um, an absorbable uh, dishcloth that people use in the kitchen and um, it looks kind of cool actually uh, I don't know why people were laughing at you Lena I, I think I'd be a sucker for that as well let us know any more gadgets that you bought um, we know the centre aisle is um, terrible for people going in and buying milk and bread and they come out with things that they um, that they that they don't need and Fergal is telling me sham wows were big with um, people who had cars because um, they were they were great for cleaning the cars and uh, yeah so keep them coming in um now, joining me is um, Jennifer Clark. She's a singer-songwriter from Cork and um, she took a bit of a break from her career to have her children and she's back now and she has a single which is due to be released shortly. Good morning, Jennifer. Hi, Fiona. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So you're back in business again, Jennifer, after taking a bit of a break. <laughs> Yeah, back in business. Yeah, I um, I had I've had three children really close together, um, and so I kind of just music took a backseat for uh, a number of years. Yeah. Um, but during the lockdown, um, I was really feeling the void. You know, it was sort of like the kids were getting to the point where they're they're not babies anymore. They're a bit more independent, um, and um, yeah, I was just really really feeling the void. Uh, so I just listened to loads and loads of music. Um, and one day just picked up the guitar and started writing again. And do you think now that the music that you're writing is different from the music that you were writing before you had children? Yeah, completely. I mean, to be honest with you, before I had children, um, I had the most amazing opportunities. I was writing with Grammy Award winning songwriters, like hit writers in the States. Um, And weirdly, like the songs weren't, 
me. Mm. Um, I'm still really proud of the work. You know, it, it was it was a part of my journey. Um, but yeah, the, the songs I'm writing now, I've I've written them all by myself. Um, and they just feel like the most genuine representation of, of me as a musician. And you have a single coming out. Tell me a little bit about that. It's coming out um, later yeah. this month, isn't it? No, no, no. Um, so it's going to be out in the autumn. Um, I haven't picked a date yet, but um, it's going to be out in the autumn. Um, so I'll, there'll be plenty of a lead up notice for that. <laughs> um, but yes, it's... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's called Slow Down, um, and it is a song. I never really wrote kind of love songs either. I, I sort of tried to stay away from them for some reason. I don't I don't know why. I felt like maybe they were cheesy or something, or I just couldn't quite pinpoint what I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, but this is a this is like a total out and out love song. Um, it's a song about you know the the really sort of special like epic moments. Um, whether it's you know the day of your wedding, the day you get engaged, just going on a date, or like realizing that you know you're really into somebody, um, and just wanting the, those moments to last. Yeah, and Jennifer, are you you're you're over you're in the UK at the minute, are you? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. And uh, how is work going over there? I mean, like, is it difficult to break into the scene over there because I suppose there's so much more competition over there. Yeah, it, it is, to be honest with you. I mean, to be honest with you, I have, I find it's like completely changed even in five years mm. um, everywhere. It's it's sort of harder to get people to listen. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know, before it was a bit more, um, what would I say? Just It just seemed like it was, it was just easier just to get in touch with people and do the networking side of things. Um, maybe, maybe it is that there's loads more musicians and artists mm. out there. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's definitely different. It's different here. Yeah. Um, in fact, Nashville, I spent a lot of time over there. That nice. was probably one of the places in the world the most where you could kind of network quite easily. You just yeah. go to a bar where like, people would be playing and before you know it, you've set up like five co-writes for that week. And where did your love for music, uh, country music come from? Was it something that you were listening to when you were growing up as a child? Um. Ish. My dad is into kind of like a lot of Americana stuff, like the Eagles and James Taylor and singer-songwriter stuff. Hmm. Um, so I had that influence. Um, country specifically, I guess I started going to Nashville because I got hooked up with a songwriter over there called Marcus Hummon. Um, and he was won a Grammy and he's had number ones. And so it was a fantastic opportunity for me. And I think when I was over there, like hearing it and writing with all these writers, I really started getting into it. Um, and what I love about it is like the story behind the song, you know, the, the song, the lyrics. It's not just a catchy hook or, you know, a really good guitar part mm. or something. It's it's, it's the, the the lyrics that really matter in country music. Um, yeah. And for me, like that's that's hugely what I'm about. I, I love, you know, putting across a message in a song or like a story or just really connecting with people. And yeah, I mean, like I'd love to go to Nashville myself. It just sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. It must have been such a great experience. Yeah, just unbelievable. You know, really like sort of um, has impacted my life in so many ways. Um, I mean, overall, I probably spent close to a couple of years there because I'd go for like three months at a time. um, And I did that quite a lot of times. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's it's a it's a whole other world. And like it's called Music City for a reason. You know, you're you're absolutely just immersed in music everywhere you go. For a young woman uh, from Cork, like where when you said that you wanted to get into country music, what kind of a reaction were you getting from people around here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it's the most popular um, 
genre. But yeah. again, it's, you, you know, everything is crossing over nowadays. Like, I think before, you know, country music was like Dolly Parton, Reba McIntyre, you know, mm. the, the real sort of Willie Nelson. Like, now country is, is very much crossed over with loads of other genres. So it's like sure, didn't one of my favourite artists. Start out as country and yeah. <laughs> look at exactly. her now. Exactly. Yeah, she's, she's fully circled now. She's kind of coming back around to like folk country stuff again. Mm. But um, like Chris Stapleton, I mean, he's a country artist, but he's actually also very sort of universal you know it's not like hardcore country yeah um Maren Morris is she's not really very well known over here apart from her song The Middle um but she's actually a, a country singer mm. um but again there's a lot of influence in there with pop pop music with slightly rocky sometimes folky um and I think that's a lot more acceptable nowadays than it used to be you, you weren't allowed you know I think when I started the music the record labels were like you know what are you like what do we do with you yeah Whereas now it's kind of, it's just, it's just different. You're, you're allowed, you know, for want of a better word, you're allowed kind of dipping and out of, dipping and out of different genres. And Jennifer, before I let you go, because uh, I am just going to be stuck for time now this morning, but um, will we see you in Cork? Will you be touring in Cork anytime soon? Definitely. So when I get a single release date, um, I'm going to book in some gigs as well. And uh, so that will all be later in the year and possibly the start of next year as well. Fabulous. Well, we'll keep an eye out for you and we'll keep an eye, for, an eye out for your single as well. Best of luck, Jennifer. Thanks for chatting to me this morning. That Thanks. was Cork singer-songwriter Jennifer Clark uh, talking all things about her, her music career on The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Over the weekend, did you get a takeaway, pizza, burger, go to a restaurant, or any of them the best in Cork? We're looking for your votes on the Best of Cork Awards and plenty of tunes to help you through Monday. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. 3, 2, 1. Counting down to Indie 22. Let's have a good time. Cork's 96FM. And this bank holiday weekend, Cork's 96FM is all about indie. We're live from Independence Music and Arts Festival this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Stay listening and follow our socials for updates and highlights from Independence all weekend long. We're live from Indie 22 Friday at 4pm on Cork's 96FM. On Friday from 4 to 8pm, the big drive home with Lorraine will be coming live from Indie. Then from 8 to 12pm, the hit mix with Shane Books then on Saturday 2 to 6pm with Darren and Demi and 6 to 12pm Club 96 with Emmett Dunlee and then on Sunday coming live from Independence we will have the Select Irish which is from 6 to 8pm and the hit mix with Shane Books 8 to 12pm and that's independence um, coming this weekend and I'm sure we're going to have lots of information coming to you about that over the coming days as well. It's a big event in uh, Mitchellstown in Cork. Uh, thousands of people I'm sure are delighted to have that in. Joining me now to talk about busking on Pana is Nisha Morrissey and Libby O'Shea. Good morning girls. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's very, we always get um, people contacting us here on the show and um, our former colleague, Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, was in touch with us. She said that you, she saw you guys on Pana and you were getting a great reaction. Um, so just tell us, how did you get into busking, first of all? Um, well, 
I, Nisha, started myself and with an amp and a mic. Basically, my friend had gotten into it, so I started getting into it myself as a Christmas present for my mom and dad. And then soon Libby started with me and we've been way better together, definitely. And so, um, yeah. oh yeah, sorry. I started saving up like my money to buy a microphone to join Nisha then. And so Libby, when you uh, joined Nisha, um, had you been singing in other venues or did you just go straight on to busking? Not singing in other venues, but I've always like loved singing and music like me and Nisha used to be in the same singing group in primary school and stuff, so. And Nisha, what about you? How did you get into the singing? Well, for about three or four years now, I've been in the Academy of Pop and School Music, Cork City School Music, mm. and I've done it every Saturday since then, and I've always been into singing when I was younger anyways, so it was definitely started mostly when I joined that group. And girls, what's it like busking in town? Um, like, is there a different vibe in the summertime? Are people nice to the buskers? Oh, definitely different vibe in summertime. I think uh, during winter, you always have to cover your amp with like a plastic bag, make sure it doesn't get wet and stuff. <laughs> and not many more people are waiting to stop. But in summer, it's really enjoyable. Everyone enjoys the music. Everyone is willing to tip a bit. And sometimes we get a little crowd. And what's it like when you get the crowd, Libby? It like it feels like really nice to like see that other people are appreciating like what you're doing. Like I love singing anyways and it's really fun for me to busk. So when I see that other people are enjoying it as much as I am, it makes me happy. And what kind of songs do you sing? Are they your own songs or do you do covers? Always covers. We kind of pick each time after we busk, we decide to pick a couple more songs to make our list bigger and less repetitive you know what I mean so yeah. we'll just decide on a song that we like and we can both definitely sing and then we'll choose that and busking in Cork then like is there a little community of buskers do you all get together is everybody friendly towards you guys um, people are definitely friendly We, I know there is a community we're not a big part of it but we've definitely talked to a few of them they're all lovely people and everyone's willing to look out for each other there and Libby, um, you yourself, you're in a wheelchair. So um, what yeah. is accessibility like as a busker? It's pretty like easy because most of Cork City is like pretty flat. And it's just like, I use a mic stand, so I don't really have to use my hands to hold up a microphone or anything. Hmm. But it's pretty just easy, like... And do people like do people ever react to the fact that you're in a wheelchair or do they just um you know, treat you just as they would treat Nisha? It depends on the day really. Like sometimes there's always gonna be like a kind of worse reaction with some people, but it's like predominantly positive and like you don't even think about the negative when you come away from it really. Yeah. So girls, like, what's next? Are you going to stay busking or would you like to, um, you know, get into different venues? 
Um, we're definitely happy with busking, but it would be amazing to perform in venues for people. Like Definitely. <laughs> like we hear of people like Ali Sherlock who started off as a busker and, uh, you know, that they were noticed. And, um, you know, would you be hoping that something like that would happen or is that just every busker's dream? <laughs> <laughs> I think 100% with the both of us, we'd like to do it together. And if we got noticed, it would be really amazing for the both of us. Yeah. Like, I feel like we both really like to make music as well or something. You make your own music. Yeah. Yeah. And do you write your own songs? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Not that any, anyone's heard any of it, but <laughs> yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Start singing them now when you're busking, girls. <laughs> yeah. do, you think, like, do you know the way people would be out and they have the phones out and especially if there's a little crowd gathered around you and then I suppose there's always the hope that somebody might capture something and it goes viral. Definitely, yeah. I think a lot of the time you're aware when people are recording you. It's like, how can I be a little bit better? How can I show off a bit? Like, make sure I have the right angle. But, so, um, yeah, so when you see people out with it. the phones, do you change your, the way you're performing then? <laughs> I feel like you just kind of think about it more. Yeah. And you think about it more, definitely. It's better to kind of ignore it because you'll always be a bit more nervous when you know people are watching you recording you. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, girls, listen, are you out and about today? Will people see you in town today? Not today, but maybe over the weekend. Any day that there's good weather, we like to get out. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. And is it mainly on Patrick Street you play? Um, yeah, just above Upper Lane on Patrick Street. Okay, so if people are out this weekend and if the weather's good, keep an eye out for you and record you and get you going viral. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Brilliant. Nisha and Libby, thanks so much for joining me this morning and talking about life as a busker on Pana. That's it for today. Thanks to Fergal Barry, Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton for helping out on the show today. And thank you for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow.